And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, for this entire time together, we have focused our minds and our hearts on you, on your Holy Spirit and hearing your voice. We pray that that does not discontinue, but we continue to hear your voice and you would continue to open our eyes to see what it is that you would purpose for us to see today. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and also pray that you would fill my mouth with words that would would bring life, with words that would honor you and please you. Let us all hear the voice of your spirit today and we pray in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Let me begin by thanking Rob for taking the past two Sundays. By the way, he's home, not feeling well today. Uh, must have preached himself sick, I don't know. Uh, and by the way, that series began uh, with uh, a book, and he mentioned the book while he was speaking, entitled How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot, and I would highly recommend you purchase that book and uh, read it. Uh, I do remember, as uh, Don was speaking earlier, I remember in that book, that the, the Neil Lightfoot pointed out there was far more uh, evidence of Jesus' existence than there was of Napoleon Bonaparte. And uh, so I, I do remember I've, I've been in church since I was two weeks old, and I guess I've been studying the Scripture since I was old enough to study in Sunday school. But I do remember finishing that book and having a greater and deeper appreciation for the veracity of the scripture. And uh, it, not that I needed any more, but I had far more than I had when I started. And so Rob did a great job of taking not only the content of that book and many others and doing it far better than I could have ever done it. And uh, what we did, even though we weren't here, we listened to both messages. And uh, I pray that if you didn't uh, or you want to hear it again, it is available on the audio podcast that you can get from iTunes. It is available on, you can go to our webpage and actually just listen to it on your computer. You can also go to Facebook, scroll down a little ways and you can find the two videos of when he delivered those messages and also probably the better source is YouTube on our YouTube channel because you can find it right there. You don't have to start looking for it. But I, I would say, especially if you didn't uh, hear one of them or both of them, then find the time because uh, it would be very beneficial to you uh, in your appreciation of, of, as Joy said, the, the preservation of the scriptures down through these years. Uh, it's it's uh, nothing short of miraculous that all of these scribes would write these these uh, scrolls, right down on these scrolls all these years, and we could stand here today and hold a book in our hand that it's been preserved. And I just can't, I can't get over how much of a miracle that is. And I'm appreciative of God's Word. And uh, today we do set aside to honor mothers, uh, and uh, every, every one of us have one. Some, some like mine, are already in heaven. Uh, my wife showed me this morning where she posted a picture of my mother on her Facebook page. If you have a Facebook page and you look at her uh, 
picture, you'll see why, how, where I got my white hair from. My mother's hair looked like snow. But we all celebrate that today. But we all, as, as Kevin said, we also celebrate womanhood on Mother's Day. We primarily celebrate Mother's Day, but we also celebrate womanhood. And we want to recognize the value of the female race to humanity, not just in childbearing. Uh, we, we, we recognize and, and uh, often talk about spiritual motherhood. You may never have born a child physically, but you may be a spiritual mother, as Titus 2 teaches, older women teach younger women, to someone, and that is of high value to them. And some of us who have had natu- good natural fathers, earthly fathers and earthly mothers, still value the input into our lives of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And so we, we cover the whole gamut. So if you are a lady, as Kevin said, and I'll echo what he said, if you're a lady, well, if you're a female, you can determine if you're a lady or not. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Then as you leave, get one of the flowers, and there's a gift out there. Like he said, it's nothing fancy, nothing special, but it's our way of saying thank you and we honor you today. And so today we want to talk a little bit uh, about some mothers. Uh, how many of you, first of all, how many of you saw the sermon title on the Abundant Life Church Facebook page? Well, we, we may need more people looking at the Abundant Life Church. Anita, what we're going to do? Oh, Anita's not even in here. That's why I see Anita's not in here. Y'all be seeing it. Anita runs our Facebook page. How many of you saw the sermon title on the Abundant Life Church webpage? Okay, we might as well take both of those down. <laughs> By the way, every week, almost every week, except maybe not this coming week, the sermon titles are in both places, just in case. And so we called it, as you see, Moms Unincorporated, and I put subtitled Harlots and Dogs. The reason I figured nobody saw it is because I didn't get any reactions out of anybody. <laughs> when you put Harlots and Dogs in your sermon title... Uh, <laughs> I told my wife, I said, I'm going to see what happens. Uh, and we'll get to, to what that means. Um, one minister's wife told of filling out a form in her pediatrician's office because the blank uh, marked occupation beside the blank, better put these on, marked occupation were these words. If you devote the greater part of your time to loving, caring, and making a home for your family, put a big star in this place. It's a good office. Um, And then the mother of three notoriously unruly youngsters was asked whether or not she'd have children if she had it to do over again. (laughs) Yes, she replied. Probably not the same ones. Motherhood, granted I've never been one, but I've lived a one for almost 49 years. Well, one before that too, but that one anyway. Motherhood is a daunting task. There's a, there are a lot of sleepless nights, and I'm not just talking about four-hour feedings. You think when they're little, you think when they get grown that all that stops. No, you still have sleepless nights when they get grown. As a matter of fact, my mother told me one time, you have more sleepless nights. 
when they get grown than when they're small. And it's a daunting task. I want to look today at five words that will give us a sum total, but not exhaustive total, of motherhood. And how that motherhood, as lived out on the earth with mother and children, how motherhood represents the heart and character of God. And we're going to, we're going to draw these words from two somewhat unlikely sources. Thus our title, Moms Unincorporated. What I mean by that is, if there, if they were to have an incorporation of mothers, most likely these two ladies would not be invited to join. And uh, especially the second one in the Jewish circles. We'll, we'll get to her. But these five words that we'll see in these two ladies are compassionate or compassion, sacrificial, urgency, relentless, and finally faith. These are not exhaustive, but they are a summation of motherhood and how mothers, and again, this applies to all gamut, all the whole gamut of motherhood. These apply as mothers t- towards their children, towards those that they are speaking into their lives. Now, the first account that we're going to cover is in 1 Kings chapter 3. And in a little while, if you like getting ahead, we're going to go to Mark chapter 7. But right now, if we'll go to 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to read a very familiar or a familiar story. I don't know about very, uh, that we've heard about most of our lives. Uh, 1 Kings three sixteen. And then if you would stand while I read the scripture, the sacred scriptures, and the English standard version reads this way, then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Of course, this is Solomon. Then the king said, the one says, this this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. 
And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You can be seated. Most of the time, if you were going to... to uh, portray a mother or draw from the example of a mother on Mother's Day, you would not go to a prostitute. I'm the only one crazy enough to do that. <laughs> some some think that these two ladies were, were also innkeepers. There are some uh, that I disagree with, but there are some who tr- actually try to to eliminate the idea that they were prostitutes and that they were only innkeepers. And the problem with that is, is the same word used in this passage is the same word used um, in about Rahab. And when Hebrews talks about Rahab, guess what it calls her? A prostitute. I'm not highlighting the fact that we're dealing with two harlots here. I'm highlighting the fact that God has this account in the Bible for a reason. And often I look at the scripture and I think, Lord, what in the world is that doing in there? And it's almost like God would say, well, it's for you to read and to learn. This, These two ladies, uh, of course, uh, I'm going to rehash a little bit, but that, they both bore children. One of them died and the other one, the one who's died, made the switch. And But the one that we're really focusing on is the first lady. I wish they had names, but they're not named. But she knew her son. She knew that when she woke up and she went to nurse her son, she knew immediately that was not hers. Mothers know their sons. Mothers know their daughters. Mothers know their children. We see, I see two uh, peach, uh, uh, attributes, characteristics in this lady's uh, life and in her approach to her, her son. And the first one is that is what I've said earlier, and that is compassion or that she was compassionate. The text in the English Standard Version says that she yearned for her son. Uh, in literally in the Hebrew text, it it really means yearned with compassion. I think maybe the New King James says it that way: yearned with compassion for her son. The literal root of all of that is the bowels or the insides. She yearned from the inside for her son. Compassion is simply a word that means. To feel with or feeling with or fellow feeling. You're called alongside someone and you feel, as Bill Clinton said, their pain. You feel what they're going through. You don't, you don't, you're not going through it, but you feel what they feel. That's compassion. And sometimes we have to ask God to give us compassion because we don't naturally have it. But she had it for her child. She didn't need to conjure up anything. She didn't read, need to read a book. She had compassion. She had passion for her child. There's a, there's a connection between a mother and her child like no other. There's a, there's a, 
there's something that connects there at birth and even when this, when there's not birthed. There's a connection that develops between a mother and their child that's like no other connection we can describe. It's supernatural. It's eternal. It's binding. And it creates this compassion. One of the, in this particular case, one of the ways you could word this passage using the Hebrew text is to say it this way. Her womb cried out. Her inside just cried out for her child. And she knew that her child was in the hands of the other lady. And her insides cried out because there was that connection. And she had compassion for her child. In this case, her son. Isaiah says, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. And God says, even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. The same relationship that a mother has with a child, God has with his people. He has with you. And he cares for you. And we'll finish up our time to get today uh, re-emphasizing that. So not only is this mother a mother who exhibited compassion for her child, she's also sacrificial. She was faced with the moment when Solomon, how many of you believe Solomon was planning on going through with that? Not on either. But she was faced with that moment when Solomon suggested to divide the baby in half and give one half to one, one half to the other. And in the face of that moment, what was important to her was not her, herself, but her child. Her own happiness and desire was not what she was looking for, but she was willing to give that up for the good of the child. I observed as growing up, and many of you have, maybe all of you have observed people, mothers, sadly down through the years, who were not willing to give up their own happiness and desires for the good of their child. I don't remember the girl's name, but several years ago, some lady drove her children off into the Atlantic Ocean in, in her car and drowned them because they were getting in the way of she and her boyfriend. That's not sacrificial. That's self-serving. We know stories, all of us know stories of mothers that were found dead while protecting their little ones. We've heard stories of snowstorms and things like that. And they would find these mothers and these children buried in, in avalanches and such. And when they would get there, the mother would be dead, but the child would be underneath the mother being protected and still alive. Sacrificial. I mentioned my mother earlier. She was a, she was a, well, let me just say she was, she was about that tall. No, let me see. Maybe about that tall. She had a lot of, let me just say this. At one point in my life, my dad worked at the local paper mill. And retired from that at some 40 years of, of employment there. And my brother, my oldest brother, who's seven years older than me, 
was driving a mail truck. And when I say mail truck, first of all, I mean M-A-I-L. But it wasn't, he was delivering two post offices all over northwest Florida. He would deliver the mail to the post office and going about his business. And myself and my younger brother, who's about four years younger than me, we were still going to school. My mother would get up every morning for some period of time when my dad was on what we called the day shift, which was he'd go to work at 7 and come home at, or get off at uh, 3.30. She would get up in the morning. My older brother, driving the mail truck, would uh, leave about 5 or 5.30 to go run his routes. And so she'd get up and fix him a hot breakfast every morning. And then my dad... If he was going to be at work at 7, maybe it was 7.30. If he was going to be at work at 7.30, we lived 10 minutes in the paper mill, but he'd leave at 6.30. I said, why don't you leave an hour early, Daddy, to drive 10 minutes? He said, what if I have a flat tire? What if something happens? Do I want to have to explain to my boss why I'm late? I can change the tire and get to work and still be on time. In those days, I don't have a flat tire. They got a coffee shop. So you see, I even though I haven't always been good at it, I grew up in a household that if you were on time, you were late. <laughs> Some of you can get that. So my mother would get up and fix my brother this hot breakfast. My dad would get up and get ready to go to work and leave at 630. You know what she did? Fixed another hot breakfast for him. And then my brother and I, we would leave about 7.30, quarter to 8, go to school. She'd get up, us up, and guess what she'd do? She fixed another hot breakfast, three breakfasts every morning. Now, some of you are thinking, man, your mother was a saint, which she wasn't. Some of you are thinking, your mother was a dummy. Well, you can think what you want. But that she didn't do that because she wanted to do it. She did that because she was willing to sacrifice. And I appreciated it. And I drank iced tea every morning for breakfast. <laughs> and grits and eggs and bacon and sausage and all of that and biscuits every day. That's how I got tall. <laughs> mothers, generally speaking, well, I got to hear an amen out of you ladies. Mothers, generally speaking, wind up eating cold meals. Because they're scurrying around taking care of everybody else. And they wind up eating last and eating cold meals. They're doing without for the sake of their children. That's what, that's what mothers do. No one deserves a special day all to herself more than today's mom. A cartoon showed a psychologist talking to his patient. Let's see, he said. You spend 50% of your energy on your job. You spend 50% on your husband and 50% on your children. I think I see your problem. That's bad math. But mothers do that not because they enjoy that necessarily. Some may, but it's because mothers are naturally sacrificial. And you mothers are as well. And this models, again, our Lord Jesus being sacrificial. 
Hebrews tells us this. He has, Jesus has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's no accident that motherhood is sacrificial because motherhood comes from the Godhead. God created women. God created mothers and motherhood. So it's no accident that in being sacrificial, mothers are emulating the character of who Jesus is and what he did for us. Now, if you would turn to Mark chapter 7, if you haven't already. And by the way, for those of you taking notes, there's another account of this, a very good account of this in Mark, uh, Matthew 15. And and, then we're going to start in verse 7 and verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. There's a lot right there. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now let me just say right here, pause. The Gentiles, I mean the Jewish people of that day, would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. Thus my title, harlots and dogs. They referred to all Gentiles as dogs, as wild, untamed scavenger animals. That's how they referred to them. So we'll continue on. And Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bed, bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, Jesus being insensitive here. Well, let me say this. For whatever reason, the Jewish people would have referred to the Gentile lady as a wild, untamed, scavenger-type animal. Jesus uses a different word here when he talks. He, he uses the word puppy. He actually uses the word little dog or, or a pet. I don't know what difference that makes, but he tames, tames it down. But he's after something. He's not being insensitive, but he's after something here. He says, why would we take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What Jesus talking about? He's talking about, I must go first to the house of Israel. I must go first to the covenant people. And then we bring the gospel to the Gentiles. What's interesting is that she knew that. But the driving force behind her actions in this case was urgency. It was urge or the sense of urgency. Now, if you want to, if you want to get hurt, get between a mother and her child in a moment of urgency. <laughs> Jonathan sitting back there, uh, 
when Jonathan was about five years old. He was a lot smaller than he is now. I was working on our car one day in the garage. And this tell you how long ago it was. I was working on the carburetor. Those young people, cars used to have things called carburetors. They don't have them now. And I had it turned up high, trying to get something set on the engine right, and hood was up. Jonathan was in the front seat of the car. I didn't think anything of it. He's five years old. Well, I'm in the garage, and he's in the, you know, he's just walking around. Next thing I know, he's put that thing in reverse with the engine revved up. And again, young people, Back then, you didn't have to put on the brake to put it into gear. <laughs> Today, you have to. You know, I'm feeling old. That car took off the back of that garage, outside that garage, and we had a little hill. And so I took off running beside the car, tried to reach in and turn it off, couldn't do anything. And, uh, and finally, you know, Jonathan's scared to death. He's probably scared now of me talking about it. Finally, I decided there was nothing I could do. There was a, some trees between us and the neighbor behind us. I thought, worst case scenario, it'll just hit one of those trees and it'll be all over. And so I shoved off away from the car so I wouldn't get underneath it, cracked a rib in the process. And uh, about that time, a miracle occurred. The car, the car went down the hill, just a slight hill, there was a little bit of a dip, not really a ditch, but just a dip between us and the neighbor. When the when the back wheels of that car, it was a station wagon. Young people, y'all don't know what a station wagon is, I know. <laughs> and my resignation will be due next week. <laughs> Somehow, when that car hit that little small ditch, it didn't just stop it, George. It shifted it into drive. And started creeping back up that hill. <laughs> Jonathan's still in the front seat, scared to death. And so I go to get, of course, then, you know, it's easy to catch. I go to get the door to open it to stop the car and get him out. Well, guess what happens next? Mama. Mama comes running to the car and throws me to the ground. I didn't break another rib, but throws me to the ground and opens the door and jumps in there and gets her baby, who is literally our youngest. Well, that's what mothers, urgency. When you, you mothers know when, when your child is in a predicament, there's an urgency that rises up in you. And that's what was happening with this mother. She knew she was a Gentile. She knew, and somehow, I don't know how she knew about the covenantal example, but she was jealous for her child. Mothers are jealous for the souls of their children. I've said many times, I can't find you a Bible verse, and I'm not going to try, but I don't believe you can escape the prayers of your mother. I just don't believe you can do it. So mothers, if you're concerned about your children, if you're concerned where they are or where they aren't, the best thing you can do is pray for those children because I don't believe they can escape your prayers. I don't think it's possible. She was jealous. 
Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. She had disregard for her personal image. She was, the Bible says she fell down at his feet, which is obviously a posture of humility. She humbled herself. She didn't care what her image looked. She didn't care that if she looked silly or if she looked anything. She didn't care. What she cared about was her child. Nothing else mattered. There was this urgency. And so then she was relentless, which is the next word. She didn't stop. He said, well, you can't give the, the bread to the dogs. She that didn't stop her. She was relentless. He was seemingly oblivious to this Gentile woman, but she kept asking. He was seemingly saying, although we know he wasn't, that you, you don't deserve the bread. He was, what, what he was doing was drawing something out of her. It was a matter of covenant. It was a matter of the covenantal relationship with Israel and God. And as I said earlier, somehow she understood this. I don't, she, I don't know how she understood this. But what she understood is the gospel, and Jesus was saying the gospel must first be offered to the covenant people. Wasn't that the, it wasn't that the Gentiles were not going to be offered the gospel. Just Jesus said, I must go first to the lost sheep of Israel, to the house of Israel. And somehow she got it. But she wasn't going to stop. She wasn't going to stop. And then it reminded me of Psalm 23, Surely. And that reminds me of the movie Airplane, Stop Calling Me Surely. Um, I don't watch movies like that, by the way. It just Somebody told me about it. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So the relentless nature of this mother and all mothers, the relentless nature of mothers regarding their children is again modeling God's nature and God's approach to us. Goodness and mercy, by the way, are relentless. Aren't you glad that they're relentless? The word follow in that verse, Psalm 23, 6 it means to run after. It really means to run after with a hostile pursuit. It means relentless. The Christian Standard Bible and the New Living translate that verse, Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Luke 15, we're not going to go turn, but Luke 15 gives several stories. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost the prodigal son, which Kevin just read. Several stories about seeking after something or someone that had been lost. Relentless. I have said many times, um, as a matter of fact, by the way, if you have volume two of my book, my series of books, Kernels of Truth, one of the chapters in that book is entitled The Prodigal Who Strayed. And the next chapter is entitled, The Prodigal Who Stayed, The Older Brother. If you don't have chapter volume two, it's out there on the bookshelf. And by the way, I don't get a nickel of those books that are sold. But I've always said the father in that story, I've, I've pictured him sitting on the front porch of that house, 
looking over the top of that mailbox down that road, waiting for the glimpse. And you know what the Bible says? As soon as he saw his son, he didn't sit there and finish his mint julep. He took off running. He was relentless. Matthew, I mean, Luke 15, 7 says, There's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Relentless. The final thing, and that is the, is faith. Luke doesn't record this, but Matthew does. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Mothers, faith, your faith in God. Please have your faith in God. Don't have faith in what God will do. Don't have faith in what God will give you. Don't have faith primarily in your child's salvation, but have faith in the God who will save them. This lady came to Jesus even though she was a Gentile. She came to him. She didn't come to somebody else. She could have went to any of the Pharisees, any of the leaders of that day. But she went to this man because she had faith that he could and would do what she needed done. And he recognized her faith. As a matter of fact, he was, I think that's what he was drawing out of her. He was drawing out of her the statement that would reveal that she had faith. And he said, your faith is great. She'll be healed. She believed Jesus was bigger than her daughter's condition. And I want to tell you that no matter what your concerns are for your your offspring, spiritual offspring, whatever that may be, I don't care what that is, that Jesus is bigger than that. She recognized his authority over the kingdom of darkness. I don't know if she'd already seen him cast demons out of people. I don't know. But she recognized that Jesus commanded the kingdom of darkness to do whatever he wanted it to do. Sometimes we're too afraid of the devil. Jesus is not afraid of the devil. He has authority over the devil. Luke ten nineteen, I give to you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all. Everybody say all. The power of the enemy. Do not be afraid of the devil. Not only did she have this faith, she demonstrated that faith. She showed that she believed. Galatians says what matters is faith working through love. Faith working through faith, working through agape towards whomever it is directed. Motherhood exhibits, and I've said this several times, the heart of God. Fatherhood does too, but we're, this is not Father's Day, so let's leave that alone. Motherhood exhibits the heart of God in so many ways, and I've, I've just illuminated five. There's so many more ways. But when you see this as a package in compassion, urgency, relentless faith, you see the heart of God. 
And you see it in Isaiah 66. God says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Again, it's no accident that mothers have the qualities and the attributes that they do towards their children. It's no accident. It's God's heart. It's when God created mothers and the DNA he put in you guys, it was him. He didn't just write something on a piece of paper and say, let's make that a mother. No, he gave you himself. He said, as a mother comforts, so I will comfort. Now, it wasn't God emulating mothers. It's mothers emulating God. Somebody once said one time to somebody I know, said, I met your son the other day. You look just like him. He said, no, he looks like me. I was here first. And mothers emulate God because God was here first. And yet mothers do. And I'll finish with this. A little boy forgot his lines in Sunday school presentation. His mother was in the front row to prompt him. She gestured and formed the words silently with her lips, but it didn't help. Her son's memory was blank. Finally, she leaned forward and whispered the cue. She said, I am the light of the world. The child beamed and with great feeling and a loud, clear voice said, My mother is the light of the world. <laughs> Not so far from the truth. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are the light of the world. We also recognize that you said to us that we are the light of the world. And so today we recognize that mothers are the light of the world. We thank you for these qualities and these attributes that we see in these two ladies who would not normally be observed as examples of motherhood. And yet even within these ladies, we see your heart. We see your nature towards the children. We Today we thank you for the gift of motherhood the gift of mothers to each one of us. We thank you for the impact in our lives that each of us could come up here and testify about. Let us continue not just today to honor the mothers in our lives, but every day of our lives to recognize your involvement in our life through our mothers and our spiritual mothers. Thank you for this day of celebration, and we honor you, Lord God. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said... God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your happy Mother's Day.